Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Did you know that over 95% of all businesses fail within the first 10 years? By listening in to what Bob's guests have to say, plus direction from Bob Pritchard himself, it's our intention that you won't be among those statistics. Now, here's your host, Bob Pritchard. Hello, world. Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. We're on Voice America Business Channel every week at the same time. And we're the number one global business radio show for entrepreneurs. And today we're back broadcasting from Los Angeles where the weather for the last week or last couple of weeks of winter is extraordinary. It's in the 90s, which is about 33 Celsius for all of you listening overseas, which you got to admit is pretty good for winter. Now, this program's all about helping entrepreneurs and, in fact, helping everybody in business to be more successful. We've been bringing you lots of information, great advice and fantastic interviews now for four years and we hope that that's helped you to maximize your success. We get lots of letters from people saying that they followed the advice of either ourselves or our guests and it turned their business around or it improved their bottom line or it improved their sales So we're very grateful for that. Next week, we're going to have a talk about customer service. Now, we all know that the most important thing about customer service um, is that it'll drive your business. It's more important than any other facet of your business for driving success. And uh, I had an experience a couple of weeks ago where I went to Shutter's in Santa Monica, which is a very well-known hotel and boutique hotel and and restaurant, and phoned and booked in advance um, for their One Pico restaurant. I had uh, important guests coming in from overseas, from the UK, and so booked it in advance. Everything, no problem. Everything was fine, and... um, When I got to the restaurant with my guests, we got shunted off downstairs to almost like a coffee shop called The Coast, which was, to say the least, pretty ordinary. So we expected a beautiful restaurant upstairs and we got shunted off to The Coast. Now, we wrote them a letter and told them what had happened and that we were most embarrassed because we had these important guests. We got a note back saying, we're sorry, disappointed. That was it. That was the lot. So um, I, I want to have a chat about that and get your feedback as to what you think um, they should have done. I know what they should have done, but... I won't put any words in your mouth. So next week we're going to have a good discussion about shutters in particular and customer service in general. So I'm looking forward to that. I will give shutters the opportunity to um, join in the conversation or at least respond to the uh, to the comments. Now, we all know that technological changes are happening at warp speed. Every day there's new things happening. And Singularity University, 
which is up in Silicon Valley and is the university um, that is paid for by the um, all of the big tech companies, predicts that 99 times more change is going to happen in the next 10 years than has happened in the last 10 years. So 99 times more change in the next 10 than in the last 10. So that means in 10 years' time, 2,000 times more change will be happening every single day. Now, some of the pending scientific advances are just mind-blowing. Researchers are now working on superhuman vision. They're working on robotic blood cells that will allow us to breathe underwater, a living superglue that will enable broken bones to simply regrow and they're even working on an invisibility cloak. This is all stuff that I was reading about in cartoons and, and comic books 30 years ago. And they're all being made possible by an emerging field of metamaterials that can be produced on an atomic scale. We, um, we spoke last week about graphene that is 100 times thinner than paper and 200 times stronger than steel. I mean, it's just extraordinary. Um, And at the University of Michigan, they've developed super-sensitive graphene contact lenses that allow you to see in the dark. be totally in dark, and you can see in the dark. It also enables you to look through solid materials. So look through a wall just by putting on a pair of contact lenses. Teams in Germany and Israel recently collaborated to create a Navajo robot that can swim through bodily fluids and deliver drugs directly to the right spot. So that's pretty cool. And Google's already announced tiny magnetic particles that patrol the body's bloodstream looking for signs of disease. Now, when they find these signs of disease... They swim around in your bloodstream. They go underneath your watch and they tell your watch what's wrong with you. And your watch can tell your cell phone. Your cell phone can tell your doctor. Your doctor tells the hospital. The hospital calls you in and sticks you in a bed and cuts you open. All from a little thing racing around in your bloodstream. Computer-guided artificial blood cells can transport oxygen 200 times more efficiently the natural red blood cells, which promises absolutely earth-shattering performance enhancement. They reckon that we will be able to hold our breath for four hours at the bottom of a swimming pool. I mean, you'd be pretty wrinkled, but you'd still be able to breathe. (laughs) And you'd be able to run flat out, absolutely flat out, without taking a breath. It's just incredible. The University of Pennsylvania has also developed an invisibility cloak by using metamaterials to bend light, and that creates the illusion that the object isn't there at all. So the next step is the production of invisibility paint. So you go out and you paint something with your invisibility paint, and it disappears. How cool is that? 
So metamaterials are going to change the world in ways that are absolutely impossible to imagine. And uh, it, it's just stuff out of science fiction. But keep your eye on graphene, which is the new wonder material that has the potential to significantly change many of today's technologies. And all the big guys are looking at it. The Teslas, the Samsung. In fact, Samsung leads the world with over 405 patents. But everybody's into it. Apple, Tesla, Samsung, HP, they're all looking at graphene. Now, have you ever just been amazed at how long it takes in the developed world, particularly places like the US, Australia and Europe, the UK, to fix roads or to build anything. You know, we watched the 405 being extended by one lane here in Los Angeles and it cost, and it took like 10 years. And I was recalling the other day when I was in Thailand, I was living in Thailand for a bit, and they built a bridge, an overpass, over an intersection, about a four-lane highway over an intersection over the weekend. They closed the road at five o'clock on Friday afternoon and opened the new freeway over the overpass or the new overpass on Monday morning. And yet if they tried to do something like that in the US, Australia or the UK or wherever, it'd take bloody two years. Well, a developer in China has just built an entire 57-storey building brick by brick at the rate of three full stories a day finished. The entire building, 57 stories from start to finish and done, ready to move in, took 19 days total. It's a really good-looking building. It's mixed use, 800 apartments and enough office space for 4,000 people, all built in 19 days. You know, it, the building was also constructed with China's pollution problem in mind using quadruple thick glass and a really tight construction. Well, why can't we do that in a capitalist incentive-driven economy? I mean, everything's changing so fast. I know in Australia they're talking about building a, um, a train, not a hyperloop or anything that fits in with today's technology, but a train. Sure, it's a Schenkerschen, which will do 300 miles an hour. It's still a bloody train, and it's going to take them 30 years to build it. And meanwhile, Musk's Hyperloop, which can do 1,000 miles an hour or more, can be finished in, seven, in less than seven years, and they're starting to build them now. So... Just imagine what the Hyperloop technology is going to be like in 30 years when Australia finishes building its bloody train. <laughs> it's ridiculous. So let's talk about something that's much more positive. Back in 1982, that seems like a long time ago, it's 35 years, 33 years ago, a 26-year-old Steve Jobs gave a speech when he received the Golden Plate Award from the Academy Achievement in Washington, D.C. Now, bear in mind, this is 1982. 
It was a chance for Jobs to talk to high-achieving youngsters about how to make their lives and the world better. He told them about his remarkable, accurate theory of creativity. He also detailed a realisation that changed his life. Jobs said, One of the things that I had in my mind growing up, I don't know why, was that the world was sort of something that happened just outside my immediate environment and you didn't really try to change it. You just sort of tried to find your place in it and have the best life you could. And it will all just keep on going out there, running, and that somewhere there was a whole bunch of really bright people running this world. But here's the thing. Jobs went on to say, as you start to interact with some of these people, you find they're not much different than you. In other words, the people leading the world in business, politics, culture, are just people, just like you. Therefore, it's actually within the realm of possibility that you, also just a person, could change the world. Job said the people actually making these decisions every day are not really much different than you. And they might have a little more judgment in some areas, but basically they're all the same. Therefore, with the right connections, the right training and the right mindset, it's possible for you to become one of them. To Jobs, this realisation brought about a sense of responsibility towards the world. If you have the capacity to improve the well-being of society, then you're obligated to do so. That, I think, is fantastic advice and uh, I think we've got to all agree that it worked out pretty well for Steve <laughs> you know just although it was exceptional but I remember when I first came to America I went down and met with the people that was 27 years ago I went down and met with the people at Coca-Cola and I was pretty green I'd had some success but I thought I was pretty green and I walked into Coca-Cola thinking I'm going to get eaten alive these people know so much more than I do. They're, they're going to kill me, but I'll go in and I'll give it a shot. Well, I walked out thinking, yeah, these guys are smart. They're not that smart. They're not that much better than me. They may be a fraction better than me. But, you know, the big difference is that um, they do things differently. They'll have a go and are not worried about failure. And... Uh, I was thinking the other day about baseball. You know, if you're the greatest baseballer in the world, you hit the ball about three times out of ten. So seven times out of every ten, you fail. So with seven failures out of every ten, you can still be one of the best that ever played the game. Life's like that. If you have ten great ideas and you throw them out there, seven of them might fail, eight of them might fail, Nine of them might fail, but you only need that one that sticks. And every one of us can do that. Now, as you, as you probably know, South by Southwest began at the weekend and every techie, every new artist, every marketing person, every media person, every technology company, they all descended on Austin. Now, Austin's got about... 800,000 people, and 80,000 people go to South by Southwest. 
Now, this year, if you were watching um, television on Monday morning, you'd know that um, the big hit is a live streaming app called Meerkat. On Monday morning, every host of every television show on every station was running around live streaming. The coverage was just extraordinary. Now, why anybody wants to watch another person walking down the street or walking into their favourite cubicle and staring at the back of the door is absolutely fucking beyond me. I can't think of anything worse. But it is a hit, meerkat, so keep your eyes open for it. But um, calls to online activism, activism, the pedicabs uh, with Game of Thrones, Iron Throne seat, that was another big um, conversation at Southwest. The great thing about Southwest is you never know what's just around the corner. It could be a big thing. It could be life-changing. Extraordinary. And the uh, festival's not yet half over, but buzzworthy trends are emerging. But still, Meerkat killed it. And this simple app, just at a push of a button, you can just live stream. And uh, that was going great guns on Bitter. Not Bitter. On Twitter. It was going great guns on Twitter until Quitter... Twitter, confirmed Friday. I don't know why I have so much trouble with the word Twitter. Um, But it came to a stop after Twitter confirmed on Friday that it acquired Periscope, which is a rival to Meerkat, and then they limited Meerkat's um, access to Twitter. (laughs) What a bummer for Twitter. Um, Vice President Al Gore was there. He gave a rousing talk about the need for urgent action on climate change. Um, He was urging people to get involved and to um, support changing climate change legislation ahead of environmental talks in Paris. Uh, South by Southwest is also an unbelievable place for corporate stunts. Promotions are everywhere. Um, HBO's Grain Grain. God, what's the matter with me today? HBO's Game of Thrones is employing pedicabs with Iron Throne seats and hosting South by Southwest uh, West Arrows. South by Southwest Arrows, an event that uh, serves a Game of Thrones beer and allows fans a chance to sit on the show's Iron Throne. Mophie came up with what I think is a brilliant idea. Um, smartphone battery pack makeup Mophie created Buzz with St Bernard dogs that rescued festival goers low on batteries. So the dogs are part of the St Bernard's Rescue Foundation. And if you're in attendance and you need a little bit of extra juice in your phone, you tweet a screenshot of your dying battery at Mophie with the hashtag Mophie Rescue, and then a St Bernard from the St Bernard Rescue Foundation will arrive with a Mophie Power Reserve, which is a great little $50 power source, and they charge up your phone. How bloody cool is that for an idea? And if you uh, see any of these dogs on the street, you can pose with them and send a tweet and be eligible for a prize. Now, I reckon that's fantastic. One of the down 
things of um, South by Southwest was Russell Brand cancelling at the last minute an appearance where he was going to give an address um, and uh, his film was going to be a headliner. Well, it turns out that um, Brand didn't like the way the film turned out. So at the very last minute, he uh, announced on his blog that he wouldn't be appearing at the festival. And having organised many events in my time and all the work and effort you go into promoting it, I think that's a pretty low trick. You're listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show from Los Angeles on Voice America Business. We're here to assist all entrepreneurs. Now, make sure that you subscribe to my monthly newsletter, which is being sent out this week to over 16,000 business executives in over 60 countries. And I'll be back after the break with my guest, Mark Goldston, who teaches entrepreneurs, CEOs, and innovators to think like Steve Jobs and create a I-gotta-have-it attitude that crosses over to I'm-gonna-buy-it. And you never have to sell anything ever again. People just line up to place orders. Now, Mark acts into the psyche of hostage takers to cause them to turn themselves peacefully over to the FBI and police and also hacks into CEOs and founders to maximise their success and effectiveness by making them understand who is holding them hostage. Mark's a very interesting guy and I'll be back with him after this short break. Do you want your business to achieve results you never thought possible? Bob Pritchard is recognized as the business leader's advisor and has 30 years of experience as a straight-talking troubleshooter for Fortune 500 companies and SMEs across the world. Whether you need a checkup across all departments of your business or simply want to improve marketing, advertising, performance measurement, or some other area, Bob Pritchard will work his magic so you can blow away your competition. Bob Pritchard is also one of the most in-demand speakers in the world. Over 1,500 clients on five continents and countless standing ovations are a testament to how he changes the fortunes of business. Pick up Bob's new book, Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, at your nearest bookstore or visit Bob's website at www.bobpritchard.com. Remember, if you want to be successful, call Bob Pritchard now. Worldwide phone numbers and more information can be found at bobpritchard.com. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Now, this is the part of the show where we talk to successful and very often really extraordinary people, people that have enjoyed great success and are out there making a difference. I'm always amazed how many talented people there are in this world. And uh, interestingly, my guest today is also a fellow member of Metal, which is Media Entertainment Technology Alpha Leaders, which are 1,600 of the smartest people on the planet. And uh, we meet every Saturday, and every Saturday I walk out of there just absolutely flabbergasted by the quality of people that... um, that belong 
last Saturday we had uh, the CEO of the Hyperloop project. We had um, uh, a lady who started a um, a health food bar company and now it's $300 million industry. We had a fellow who's an expert on big data and analysis. It is just extraordinary. So um, I like to talk to them. And the aim when I'm talking to them is to find out what are the characteristics that they have that makes them great and how can each of us learn from what um, they've got to offer and from the mistakes that they might have made in the past. My friend Mark Goldston from the Goldston Group, as I mentioned, is a fellow metal member. Well, he helps companies and organisations create a I've got to have it response to their products and services. And he does this by teaching founders and CEOs and innovators to think like Steve Jobs. Now, that sounds like a big call, and I'll talk to him about that. But when you've got a, when you create this I've got to have it attitude, people immediately say, I've got to have it, therefore I'm going to buy it. So therefore you never have to sell people stuff because they want to buy it. You just sit there and make sure you've got a pen with plenty of ink in it and take orders. On a personal level, Mark's been a people hacker. I love that term, people hacker, for more than 30 years. Originally hacking into the psyche of suicide patients to help them discover a reason and a desire to live. Now that sounds like a pretty tough chore. Then he hacked into the psyche of hostage takers so that they turned themselves peacefully over to the FBI and police. That all sounds, sounds like a pretty tough gig. And CEOs and founders with the logical extensions to that and Mark helps them achieve, maximise their success and their effectiveness. Being an entrepreneur and a visionary is tough. And uh, we often need to reignite that visionary engine because sometimes it stalls when you're trying to run a company in an organisation. It just becomes so overwhelming. I must admit, my schedule is just frenetic. And sometimes you sit there and think, geez, I just can't hope, keep up, and all the change that's happening in the world, it gets bloody hard. So Mark works with um, high integrity, motivated, committed, and failure is not an option executives, and uh, to overcome obstacles to achieve their mission. Hi Mark, welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show on Voice America Business Network. Hi Bob, I can hardly wait to find out what I say. Yeah, I'm I'm really fascinated. You're obviously very good at smooth talking people. You must have been great on first dates when you picked up a girl in the bar. They were gone, right? You really had that licked. Well, you know, you're you're a more recent uh, uh, example of that. I haven't had a first date for 37 years. Okay. <laughs> now, you started off as a clinical psychiatrist. Um. How did you transition to training FBI and police hostage negotiators? I mean, that's a, you know, that, that, that seems to me like an extremely specialized field and one that has a lot of risks involved and a hell of a lot of stress. Well, I started out as a suicide interventionist and helping people also uh, find a different way than violence. And so I dealt with a very disturbed and disturbing kinds of people 
And uh, what happened is uh, I, I, I used to work with suicidal patients who were still suicidal when they were discharged from a hospital. So one of my first mentors actually... Why would they be discharged from a hospital if they're still suicidal? Well, because there's some people who are acutely suicidal, and there are some people who have kind of a suicidal personality, meaning they're not going to act on it today or maybe this week, but there's a darkness to them. And what would happen is when they need to do it, you can't keep them in forever, and you don't change someone's personality in a short hospitalization. So my first mentor, a fellow named Dr. Edward Schneiderman, he he actually was a pioneer in the study and intervention with suicidal people, and he would go up to the inpatient wards at UCLA, and he'd do a consultation with these people who were still suicidal but needed to be discharged because, again, it wasn't acute, it was just part of them. And some of the residents didn't want to see these people as outpatients because they were still fairly scary. So he would go meet with them, and then he'd call me on the phone, and he would always say the same thing. And he would say, Mark, I'm with this handsome young man, or Mark, I'm with this lovely young woman. They're in a lot of pain, Mark. You could help them. See them. And then you put them on the phone, and I'd see them. And so early on in my career, you're only supposed to see one or two suicidal patients at a time. Early on in my career, about 25% of them were suicidal. Right. And knock on wood, none of them killed themselves uh, after I saw them. And uh, my wife will tell you that for 10 years, I never got to the end of the movie we were watching because I'd be beeped or interrupted. Yeah. And so what happened, though, is I, I, I became very innovative because I felt, well, the usual approaches stabilized them but never got through to them. And so that gave me permission, as well as the confidence my mentor had in me, to actually listen more and more deeply into them. And when I did that, what happened is I crossed over into their world emotionally, meaning there were a few patients that I would see and I would start to feel a dark, cold chill. And initially it startled me and with one patient I thought, geez, I'm having a stroke or a seizure. And then I did a neurologic exam on myself because I'm a medical doctor, psychiatrist. And I realized that I was all there. And then I thought, I think I'm feeling and going and seeing the world through her eyes. Yeah. And when I felt it, I was kind of young and innovative and game to try something and I kept leaning into it and a friend of mine who I shared the story with uh, who's the main uh, pastor at St. John the Divine in Manhattan he said you went into the dark night of the soul and what happened mm-hmm. I gotta tell you Bob it was awful it was chilling it was cold and I had this realization that boy if that was me I would have killed myself a year ago yeah Is and this- so I actually shared that with some patients because on one occasion I was sleep deprived and I said that and I thought, my God, I just gave her permission. At that point, she smiled at me and she said, thank you for understanding. Thank thank you for feeling it with me. And then she gave up her suicidality after having made three attempts in the previous four years. Is that that a different... Is that a different type of feeling than, you know, people who... Not often, but I come across people from time to time who just say, you know, this is all too much for me. It's all changing too quickly. I can't cope. I, I always feel inadequate. I always feel like I'm under pressure. What's the use of being here? You know, that's a different type of thing than somebody who's dead set um, 
set on killing themselves. Well, well, well here, here's the difference. There's a, there's a continuum in how you listen to people. At the poorest end, uh, you're not. You think you're listening, but you're not listening at all. You're presuming to know someone when you really don't. And then, and then, not much better than that is actually figuring someone out, uh, which makes them feel like you're treating them as an object. Mm. Uh, that's why a lot of entrepreneurs have troubled marriages because they're very good at figuring things out, but that's often frustrating to their spouses who want you to not just understand how they feel, but feel their feelings with them. And so, so uh, slightly better than figuring someone out is when you when they feel understood by you. But what I've learned is when people feel felt by you. They open up to you. So, for instance, if I was listening into you, Bob, uh, what I'm picking up is that it's very important for you to keep the people you interview kind of on track. So, good luck with me. And also that they're that they're continuing to give value to your listeners, and if possible exceeding your listeners' expectations of value. Because if you can bring on guests like that, who while your audiences consistently, it's going to elevate uh, the value of your show. Is any of that true? That's, that's all totally true. Oh, and so to a certain extent, I mean, I, I, you know, over a drink, I'll get into you even more deeply, but, um, but it, there's a way of listening into people that when you really get them, so I got you, you know, probably on slightly more than a pedestrian level right there and then, mm. but can you feel that if I got that accurately, You'd be more you'd be more willing to lean into the conversation to find out where it went. Yeah, you you would. I, I think I learned a long time ago that people um, most people listen to the words you're saying, but they don't actually hear what you're saying. They listen to the words, they understand the words, but they don't understand what you're saying. And I think that's you know we, we've, for the for the most intelligent species on the planet, supposedly, we are all absolutely appalling communicators, aren't we? Well, what, absolutely. And one of my favorite quotes, which I think you like, comes from a, a, a psychoanalyst of the last century, Wilfred Bion from Britain. And what he said is, the purest form of communication is to listen without memory or desire. And what he meant by that is when you listen to someone with memory, you have an old personal agenda that you're trying to plug them into. And when you listen to them with desire, you have a future personal agenda that you're trying to plug them into. But in either case, are you listening to them? And so in my trainings and teaching, what I suggest to people is try to cultivate being a PAL. And PAL stands for P-A-L, Purposeful Agendaless Listening purposeful, agendaless listening. And the purpose is to listen in really, really deeply to cause people to reveal their greatest hopes and dreams and their greatest uh, fears and uh, frustrations. And when you can listen into that, people just, they just, they dive into that conversation yeah. because it, 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 they, they don't feel figured out or understood, they just feel really felt. How, how practical is that for a business person or an entrepreneur? I mean, I, we're all under so much we're all under so much pressure these days that um, you know when you go and meet somebody that you're trying to do business with, you're not trying to understand them; you're trying to sell them shit, right? And when you um, um, with staff, um, 
you really don't have time. You know, I'm one of those people who believes the only way to change people is to change people. So staff, does a business person really have time to get into the depth of the soul and the beliefs of, of no, people No, 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 but, but, but in certain select cases, uh, so it's interesting, um, what I've discovered from entrepreneurs is they can't stand to listen deeply into people. They just want results. And in fact, if, yeah. uh, uh, most decision makers hate people problems. And I've spoken to a number of entrepreneurs that say, when I was a manager, I had to deal with people issues. But now that I'm the leader and, hope, and supposedly the visionary, uh, when I get really clear on the vision and the strategy and the opportunity, I want to hear about people's stuff and that's why I have someone in HR, that's why I have a COO, because I, I, and I'm not trying to be rude, it's just that I don't want to let go of the clarity. So I think one of the things that made Steve Jobs very difficult is he had incredible clarity about an opportunity, and the clarity and the opportunity was, he looked out into the world and he said, you know, computers are ugly, complicated, and unreliable. If I could... If I could design something that was beautiful, simple, and reliable, I think I would, I think I would own the world of technology. Yep. And so he didn't know how to build it, but he could recognize it when he saw it. That's when I kicked off the on-off switch on the iPad. And so I think what happened is when he was able to see things that clearly, he didn't want anything getting in the way of it. And and it's interesting, since I've discovered, you know, I, I've been creating this talk called Gotta Have It, since I discovered the formula that he followed, I'm becoming less patient with people also because I've, for myself, I've discovered an incredible opportunity that I want to seize, and the opportunity is helping entrepreneurs to create Gotta Have It in their customers and clients and they're loving it. I'm getting between 4.8 and 5.0 out of 5 ratings from entrepreneurial groups, and I've never gotten that before. Yeah. I mean, you, know, you take somebody like Steve Jobs out, unbelievable clarity and great vision on, on products and really understood. On one, one hand, he understood what people wanted and what they'd buy and what they'd gravitate to um, and what would wow them. On the, other, on the other side, as a people person, he was an asshole. Um, it, you know, and you, you look at somebody like Elon Musk and, and, you know, everybody has spouse problems, I guess, but Elon Musk says, Elon Musk's wife says Elon's a unbelievable visionary and an unbelievably clever and whatever, but a lousy husband and even worse father. So do, do that, it, is it possible to be both? I mean, is it possible to have such clarity of vision and clarity of mind that you can be, um, um, a Steve Jobs well, it, and still it, it, be a reasonable a person? <laughs> yeah, it's a challenge. A good friend of mine named Vern Harnish, and he started this international coaching organization called Gazelles, and he lives uh, over in Spain. And he, sa he said, you know, there's, a, there's kind of an urban story, uh, urban legend, but it's probably true that uh, there's, a, there's a bar in Dublin, Ireland, that's right in the heart of the uh, technology area, and, and he said, the happiest people in the bar are the ex-wives of entrepreneurs. And they're having a good old time with their girlfriends. <laughs> They've got money to burn. Yeah, and he said, that's the reason. And, the most, and he said the most miserable people in the, in the uh, bar are 
are the entrepreneurs who have just, uh, you know, they've just got a trophy wife, and after eight months, they're bored. Yeah, I think. And, uh, yeah, I think that's. I yeah. think that's absolutely true. Um, where I live. Um near me there's um, a place called Calabasas which is full of people that are very rich and uh, if you go up to Starbucks I used to drop my son off to school and uh, then go to Starbucks in Calabasas and it's full of full of women about 30 to 50 that are absolutely loaded with money with lovely cars having a wonderful time and um, you know their husbands are out working a thousand hours a a thousand hours a week with a sixteen-year-old wife and a miserable. <laughs> it's got oh, yeah, 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 yeah. But you ask an interesting question. I spoke to a metal member, and he came up to me and he said, uh, "And I want to identify him." He said, "You know, I have an early-stage company that is just taking off, and I'm getting investors, but I also have a fiance who's pregnant. Now we're going to get married, and my fiance wants my attention, and and the point is." I can't give it to her because you know I'm, I'm really uh, getting traction with my company, and so my advice to him is: I said, well, I said, think of the most difficult investor you have, but you need their money. But they are difficult. I mean, if you didn't need their money, you'd want to shoot them or shoot yourself. <laughs> but you're going to work around it because you need their money at this, yeah. you know, for your company. And I said. You're going to find a way to work around their personality because you need their money, and that is necessary for the future of your business, correct? And he said, yes. I said, well, if you keep doing what you're going to do with your wife and your yet unborn child, and you're not even married, uh, if you keep doing that, that's going to screw up the future of your marriage. Now, that's okay, and if, if you don't mind being a statistics, but that's kind of sad given the fact that you haven't even had children and you have one in the oven already mm. and so I said I think an approach to take is look at your wife like your most difficult investor <laughs> you know, otherwise <laughs> uh, otherwise it's going to kill your future either way you know blow would, you know, uh, in a, in a lot of the investor would... you don't get the money uh, uh, keep annoying your wife in this way and blowing her off you don't get the marriage so it's up to you and you lose the money um, there you go yeah, so your book, uh, Just Listen, became the top book on listening in the world. And uh, I guess your background as a trainer of FBI and police hostage negotiators helps entrepreneurs to understand um, and get this clarity. But, you know, they're not very good listeners. And you talk about holding them hostage. Um, who's holding them hostage? What holds an entrepreneur hostage? Well... Sometimes the people issues hold them hostage because they don't want to deal with them and they're not big enough yet to get someone to intercede with some of their difficult people. But I think what also holds them hostage is, is not understanding the person they're talking upstream to. So one of the things that I have told a number of entrepreneurs who speak faster than I think, I, I said, here's what you have to keep in mind. When you uh, speak so quickly, you may be a quick and deep study, but what you're doing with investors is you're triggering flashbacks with people who are quick talking and just quick talking and who screwed these uh, investors. Yeah. And what you have to realize is these investors, every time they, they bought into something that didn't work out, they said to themselves, never again am I going to throw money down something uh, right. uh, that sounded so great. And so what I've told them is, you need to learn how to deliberate more 
when they ask you a question. And I coach them, I say, when someone asks you a question, even if you have the answer, discipline yourself to pause and maybe say, hmm, because that will cause the person who wants to know that their concern got into your consideration, that will cause them to feel that you actually considered it. Whereas if you're so quick and you're talking so fast, they may start to smile inside what they're saying to themselves unconsciously, another one, another quick talking know-it-all who's master of the universe. You know, let someone else invest with this, uh, uh, this person. I'm not going to do it. So can you see how listening in to people and understanding them at that level could be much more effective than just, because you wouldn't rush an investor where you need the money. That all sounds that all sounds very pragmatic. Um, I'm one of those people who believes that every decision we make is made emotionally. Um, you know, we we make the we make the decision emotionally. It doesn't matter what it is. It can be a business decision. It can be um, a personal decision. It could be burying a grandmother. You know, it's about making an emotional making the decision, making it emotionally, and then you justify it pragmatically. Is your approach your, your approach seems much more um, about understanding and getting a, a real clarification on who people are and what makes them work. Well, also, it's about it's exactly that. It's uh, in fact one of the things that I, uh, I, I have a number of blogs uh, having to do with how do you get through to people, how do you get through to busy people, how do you get through to. Uh, decision makers, and so I'll throw a couple things at you, and they're practical, but I think they're good ways to frame your communication. So I wrote a blog, uh, I think it was called B2B Ninja Training, it's on LinkedIn, and it's uh, how to get through to busy decision makers, and uh, I'm big with formulas, I have the Steve Jobs formula, maybe we'll do that on another show, but the formula there is when you're dealing with a busy decision maker, be clear, be concise, be relevant, be gone. Because when you're not clear, they go, oh, here we go again. If you're not concise, they're saying, yep. get to it already. Yep. If, if you're clear and concise, but it's not relevant, they think, you didn't do your homework. And, yep. then, uh, and if they just linger, what happens is you start to avoid them because they're just sort of a pain. So can you, So what I suggest in that blog is every time you're talking to a decision maker or you're talking upstream in, uh, to a, a manager or leader above you, ask yourself, rate yourself after the conversation on a scale of 1 to 10 how clear, concise, relevant, and, uh, and gone was I from the other person's eyes. So I think if you learn to... <clears throat> Discipline yourself to hold yourself accountable. Uh, it's going to make you better. And then and say to yourself, what would I do to improve uh, the rating in their eyes? So in your mind, what you're trying to do is figure, how did I come off uh, with them? Uh, there's another blog uh, I wrote that I gave to the Institute of Management Consultants called How to Turn a Conversation into Getting Hired. And there's many things in that, and there's many things in all the trainings that I offer. But one of the things I mentioned there is uh, when someone asks you a question, let's say you're, you're a consultant and the person asks you a question after you've spoken, uh, when I spend the training, what do you do? And what the consultant says is, well, I try and give them an answer. And I said to them, uh, 
the first time they ask you a question after you've spoken, never answer the question. Because what you're doing is you're, 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 you're at the pedestrian level of other consultants. Right. What you really want to do, and this is what I said in the uh, how to turn a conversation to get hired, is you want to be mindful, again, disciplining yourself, uh, when they use adjectives or adverbs, because an adjective is a way of embellishing a noun, and an adverb is a way of embellishing a verb. And so even if they ask you a question like, so what do you think we should do, blah, 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 if they previously said awful, terrific, if only, horrendous, uh, you can say, before I answer that question, say more about the horrendous. And what will happen is they will go deeper, and as they go deeper, they're more invested in the conversation. Can you yep. can you see that and feel that yep. in your mind's eye? Yep, I get and then that. And you keep, you keep doing that, and then what you want to do is they still still might say, uh, you know, ask you a question, and and the final tip that I give in that blog is say to them, you know, I can answer your question, but I'd like to take our conversation to the ICU, and they're going to say what? And I say ICU stands for important, critical, and urgent, and I can tell you what I think was most important, critical, and urgent from our conversation, but rather than my guessing, what do you think was most important, critical, and urgent? And if we didn't cover it, especially the critical and urgent, what should we have covered? So can you see that you're, you're, you're helping people <clears throat> get stuff out when you go into their adverb or, uh, uh, or adjective, you're going deeper into them than another uh, consultant, and then after that, after you've given this great high colonic, you get them to focus and prioritize in terms of important, critical, and urgent. And can you see that that would be a much more potent conversation from their point of view than what they used to hear? Yeah, I see that. So, so what what role do you see emotion playing in in communication? I, I, I believe that if you want to sell somebody something, you have to... A transference of energy takes place, a transference from you to the person that you're trying to sell. And if you're effective in communication, communicating that emotion, then you'll get the sale. Are you, do, well, you, I don't, think, well, you don't I think, adhere to well, that I philosophy? The, I think the more people... Uh, I go for high clients, so I go for the billionaires. Yep. And I can tell you <clears throat> the billionaires are more thoughtful than emotional. Now, and so the point is, when you're kind of green and you're new and you're selling and you're selling to people who are at sort of a lower level, yeah, go with the emotion. But really what you want to do is you, you, you want to get them to reveal themselves. So the, another tip that I give is if you find that being persuasive with emotion isn't working, if you find that they're kind of smiling and nodding from the neck up, but you get a feeling that you're giving them the ewee-jeewees and they want to get away from you, one of the things that I, again, that I suggest is uh, foc focus a little bit on them. And in those cases, we're getting emotional and being persuasive isn't working. I mean, if it's working, go for it. Be, be emotional. But if it's not working, if they're not voting with the, below the neck to buy from you, what you want to trigger is what I call SDU. And SDU stands for self-discovered urgency. So what can you talk about in the conversation that causes them to discover on their own an urgency to solve something that you're the solution to? 
Yeah. And, and, you, and you do this when you see that your emotion isn't working. As I said, if emotion works and it triggers emotion, that's fine, but that's really your lower rung of consumers. They're not all that discerning. And so, okay. you know, you flood them with emotion, you get them excited. But if you really want to go for big-ticket people, you know, they're, uh, uh, they're not impressed by the selling. In fact, the harder you sell, the more oh, desperate you see. I agree. I'm, I'm, not a, I'm not a seller like that. So we're, we're just about out of time, but what are the greatest challenges that entrepreneurs face, and, and how do you help them overcome it? Well, I, I think the greatest problem, and I see it over and over again, is is really not considering people issues. There's a, there's a saying, you hire people for what they know and do, but you fire them for who they are. And so a lot of times, entrepreneurs, in order to fill a slot, will bring in people who are horrendous in a number of ways. And by the way, a lot of entrepreneurs are conflict avoidant when it comes to anything emotional sure. or personality issues. Sure. And so they avoid it. And what happens, it gets worse. You're going to have to replace that person because they didn't do the job. And so, uh, and, and any time an entrepreneur fires someone, if you ask them their main regret, you know what it is, that I didn't do it sooner. And so I think what's really key is uh, don't get ahead of yourself and minimize uh, the importance of getting the right people on the bus doing the right things because it'll kill your company. I agree. Mark, thanks very much for joining me on the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. I really do appreciate it. Now, if you'd like to find out more about Mark Goldston, go to markgolston.com. That's M-A-R-K-G-O-U-L-S-T-O-N.com. And uh, I'll be back with more of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show right after this short break. America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Straight Talking, absolutely no bullshit business radio show from 2015, coming to you this week from Los Angeles, where the weather is absolutely beautiful. If there was ever any doubt about the level of hysteria, fame and selling power, Surrounding YouTube stars, there are two recent UK examples that demonstrate the power of the YouTube phenomena. You know, there are people on YouTube. There's a guy on YouTube from, I think, Sweden that's making eight or nine million dollars a year on YouTube. Eight or nine million. And uh, a couple of weeks ago, I talked about a an eight-year-old who uh, has a toy program where he sits there and he talks about toys um, and he shows, he opens the packets and he tells you how to play them. And this kid, I think, is eight or nine and he's making a million bucks a year because brands pay him to um, 
play with their toys. How cool is that? So he's been going now for a couple of years. By the time the kid's 10, he's going to have a few million dollars in the bank from sitting there getting free toys, which he opens on television. That's got to be the greatest gig of all time. Well, Alfie Days is an English blogger. I guess he's probably in his 20s. And he runs the YouTube channel Pointless Blog. And that pretty much explains it. Pointless Blog. So you got the picture. And he has 3.8 million subscribers. He's kind of funny, i got to say, but what can I tell you? Last year, he arranged for a signing of his debut book, which is called The Pointless Book, which went straight to the top of the UK book charts. <laughs> when he was doing book signings at Waterstones in Piccadilly, one of my favourite bookshops in the whole world, over eight thousand kids turned up for the book signing closed down piccadilly and waterston's um flagship store while police helicopters flew overhead and uh, police on horses were called in to control the crowd this is elfie days <laughs> and to put all this in perspective a week earlier david beckham had a signing at the same store and 600 people turned up. <laughs> so you got David Beckham, English captain, one of the most capped soccer players of all time, probably one of the most famous people in the world, get 600 people, and Alfie Days, who runs a blog called Pointless and has a book called Pointless, attracts 8,000. Now, in the UK alone, YouTube, YouTube attracts 40 million viewers, which is around two-thirds of the whole population every month, and they watch an average of 191 million videos a month. 191 million videos a month. The average viewing time per user has increased 50% year-on-year and is higher per capita than in the US. So... I think this is why the Chinese can build buildings in fifty in nineteen days and it takes us fifty seven years because we're all watching bloody YouTube. Okay, that's it from me. If you're a regular listener to the show and are benefiting from the advice that you get each week from us, please tell your friends to listen. Go to my website, which is bobpritchard.com and subscribe to my monthly newsletter. Incidentally, while you're there, if you've missed any of the programs, um you can just click on the show, look up who the uh, guest is and listen to it. Um, send me your questions, email me at bob at bobpritchard.com. Follow me on Twitter, Facebook. Please become a contact of mine on LinkedIn. So thanks for listening to the Bob Pritchard No Bullshit Business Radio Show for Entrepreneurs. And remember, it is much easier to do the impossible than it is to do the ordinary. This is Bob Pritchard. And I hope you have a bloody fantastic week. Thank you. You've been listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Please join us again next Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until then, enjoy another week of success in your business and your life.